Hello, and welcome back to the Long COVID MD podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Zeest Khan. I am a licensed, board certified physician who worked full time saving lives. But since contracting COVID 19, I've been working full time to save my own. On this podcast, I'm sharing my stories, my struggles, my ups and downs with long COVID. If you listened to the last episode, I want to thank you. It was certainly a labor of love and a big cognitive task. I'm very proud of myself for being able to record it, and uh, I want to mark it as a win and remind you that uh, marking wins is very, very important, whether they are small or larger scale. Since recording that last episode where I shared my career, essentially, or my life before long COVID, I've been feeling some kind of way. I uh, feel grief at the loss of that identity. I really miss uh, working in patient care. And it was overall, though, a really nice stroll down memory lane to remind myself of the independent life I used to live and um, remind me of what could possibly be again. I am not one who is overly nostalgic. I don't want to do things I've already done. I'm much more interested in doing new things and Uh, building on what I have done in the past. I want to grow. And so when I think about my recovery, I am not imagining a life that was identical to the life I had before, but one that was certainly as independent as it was before. That being said, It is still very reasonable and actually really necessary that we recognize our losses and that we recognize that we are grieving and that we are sad for losing um, abilities that we used to have. On today's episode, I would like to share more details of my long COVID story, uh, how I fell ill and how it's presented Long COVID is affecting millions of people in the United States and many more millions around the world. The phrase long COVID or long haul was actually coined by patients and patients, patient advocates in 2020 or 2021. It referred to a set of symptoms that patients who had uh, suffered a long COVID infection were experiencing long after uh, their initial infection resolved. These symptoms were varied and very severe and included uh, a debilitating level of fatigue 
reduced exercise tolerance or the ability to perform tasks, uh, significant fatigue after exerting oneself, sensitivity to uh, sounds or sensory input, dizziness and heart rate variability that hadn't existed before, and significant cognitive impairment or what we were referring to as brain fog. In 2020 and 2021, patients and patient advocates played a huge role in uh, identifying and, quite frankly, defining the syndrome. They did a lot of heavy lifting before the medical system uh, recognized or uh, tried to catch up. And quite frankly, the medical system has still not caught up enough. Tracking the prevalence of long COVID has been challenging for several reasons. One, the education about long COVID is limited. Many patients who get a viral infection and have difficulty recovering afterwards uh, because of symptoms like Uh, prolonged fatigue, may not realize that long COVID is uh, a possibility here. If they do and see their physicians, the level of education about long COVID among physicians or other healthcare providers is still insufficient. So identifying and diagnosing long COVID uh, at the front lines is still inadequate. Despite these limitations, it is believed that upwards of 60 million Americans either have long COVID currently or have experienced it after a COVID infection. This condition takes a toll on our health, of course, but it has also taken a toll on the United States economy. Economists at Harvard estimate that the total economic cost of long COVID has been $3.7 trillion in the United States alone, with much of that loss due to lost earnings from work by patients and a drastic increase in medical spending to care for these patients. This is a disease process that requires attention and requires a cure. The definition of long COVID has varied since uh, 2020. The phrase long haul was first used not by medical researchers or physicians, but by the long COVID community. Patients and patient activists named themselves long haulers and uh, created support groups on social media to help uh, them clarify what this new condition that was affecting their body uh, might be coming from. And patients saw a lot of overlap. That crowdsourcing early in the pandemic has uh, been so useful to not only individual patients, but medical researchers have built on uh, the information that was collected Uh, at that time out of necessity because medicine 
did not come to the rescue and quite frankly still has not. Currently, there are several official definitions of long COVID. The World Health Organization and the United States Center for Disease Control are the two that I have used, and even they have been modified since uh, 2020. The current CDC definition of long COVID is this. Long COVID is broadly defined as signs, symptoms, and conditions that continue or develop after initial COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 infection. The signs, symptoms, and conditions are present four weeks or more after the initial phase of infection. They may be multisystemic and may present with a relapsing remitting pattern and progression or worsening over time with the possibility of severe and life-threatening events even months or years after infection. Long COVID is not one condition. It represents many potential overlying entities, likely with different biological causes and different sets of risk factors and outcomes. I want to point out here that the way COVID is diagnosed, the way the initial COVID infection is diagnosed, is not clarified in this definition. COVID-19 infection can be diagnosed by laboratory diagnosis or by symptomatology. Those of us who did not have a lab-validated COVID-19 infection should not be deterred from seeking care for long COVID. This was important for those of us who fell ill before testing was readily available. It is also pertinent now when testing is not as common or in some places deterred. Long COVID is not the first nor the only disease that does not have to rely upon laboratory criteria. Instead, we look at clinical criteria and um, timeline of symptoms. The CDC definition is quite broad. It, you will notice, does not have a list of specific symptoms and does not have a even clear timeline. I point these out because uh, earlier uh, in the pandemic, the definitions did, and they were very similar to the definition for chronic fatigue syndrome, also called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is a disease process that we believe is often virally mediated or triggered, like long COVID, ME is insufficiently understood and does not have validated effective treatment strategy. I'd like to bring up and talk a little bit about myalgic encephalomyelitis, a disease that's abbreviated as ME. In some places like the United States, it's also still referred to as chronic fatigue syndrome because it is a disease process that has many similarities to long COVID in both symptoms 
and in patient demographic. There is also a lot of similarity in patient advocacy and the importance of patient advocacy in both of these disease processes to push medical research forward and to get answers. There is in the long COVID community and long COVID space, a lot of debate about whether uh, long COVID is chronic fatigue syndrome or ME uh, or is a completely different process. It has become a controversial topic. In my opinion, these two disease processes are very similar and a little too similar to be completely different disease processes. I think it behooves us and benefits us as a medical community, meaning like a patient community, to ally with each other. And, uh, you know, we might be as long COVID patients able to run because ME patients walked. And I know that's ironic because none of us can run and some of us can't walk very well, but you get my gist. Um, I believe that these are a group of virally mediated disease processes that benefits in uh, collaboration. And uh, I want to give a big shout out to ME advocacy groups um, because they were recognized very early on uh, that, hey, uh, this happened to us. Uh, these are some of the obstacles you're going to face. People are not going to believe you. And here's some ways to um, advocate for yourselves. So whether or not ME and long COVID are the same or similar or completely different, there are too many similarities in the patient demographic and in the obstacles that we are both facing in getting answers from the medical community to ignore. So I believe that allyship is going to get us a lot farther than divide, dividing ourselves. ME has uh, used a more strict definition for diagnosis than long COVID's current diagnosis is. Uh, when I was being diagnosed, uh, I was first um, able to access care and get referrals because I met criteria for ME. And the criteria are this. So myalgic encephalomyelitis requires three symptoms um, or three diagnostic criteria. Number one, not being able to participate in routine activities that were possible before coming, becoming ill, such as work, school, social life, or personal life, that one, lasts for more than six months and is accompanied by fatigue that is serious, that has not been lifelong, is not the result of ongoing activities, is not... Is not from more than usual effort and is not made better by rest. So the first criteria for ME is uh, prolonged fatigue that does not get better with rest. The second criteria for ME is post-exertional malaise. Uh, 
which is an important phrase to know or term to know. Post-exertional malaise is abbreviated as PEM. I've heard uh, some people say PEM, and it is the worsening of symptoms after physical, mental, or emotional effort that would not have caused a problem before the illness. This is sometimes referred to as crashing by people with ME-CFS. The third criteria for ME is unrefreshing sleep. People with ME-CFS may not feel better even after a full night of sleep. They may feel just as tired upon waking as before going to bed. So I think these are three important uh, criteria that or terms that overlap quite a bit with long COVID. Many patients with long COVID um, are have de- debilitating fatigue that does not get better with rest and have post-exertional malaise. Patients with ME-CFS also have uh, or can have um, various other symptoms that patients with long COVID often have too. Both of these disease processes um, present, um, I guess uniquely might be the best way to say it. I've heard some people say, if you've met one patient with long COVID, you've met one patient with long COVID, meaning the constellation of symptoms that is bothering a patient differs from one person to the next. And the disease process can present with a variable number of symptoms. So the CDC definition of long COVID that I quoted uh, is really comprehensive and um, allows for the you know many different symptoms that come up. But I have, I mean, I've yet to meet a long COVID patient that who does not have debilitating fatigue and post-exertional malaise, but I may be, you know, I may not have met that person yet. So if that's you and you have long COVID without um, fatigue, let me know. I'd be really interested. My email address is longcovidmd at gmail.com. As with many of you, long COVID took me by surprise. I likely contracted COVID-19 from patient care in 2020. As I mentioned, I am a physician. If you listen to my last episode, you'll know that I am an anesthesiologist. My specialty is heart and lung surgery, but I work in a community practice in two counties and take care of patients getting surgeries that run the gamut of acuity I also spend a lot of time in the ICU and emergency rooms, as well as labor and delivery. Anesthesiologists spend a lot of time in patients' airways, so their nose, their mouth, their trachea, and their lungs. And because of that, we are at a higher rate of exposure to respiratory droplets. In 2020, Healthcare workers like me were burning the candle at both ends. Our hospitals were overloaded. Uh, Every ward and bed that was available could be 
um, and was converted into either a COVID unit or an ICU or a step-down unit. Because whether or not patients were coming in with COVID infections, many of them were coming in with non-COVID diseases that were uh, at a really bad state because their medical care had been interrupted. Um, The medical system in the United States was overloaded. And so getting to your primary care doctor or getting into an urgent care center became more difficult. So if you had a problem like with your heart or uh, had an abdominal obstruction, you may have had to wait a really long time before getting seen. And some patients uh, presented in a dire situation. They had waited so long between not being able to get an appointment and being afraid of coming into the hospital um, they were showing patients were showing up in a really uh, bad state. So all of our patients, whether or not they had COVID-19, were exceptionally ill. Every member of the care team mattered because not only were patients getting ill, uh, there were many patients and uh, nursing, nursing staff, physicians, uh, janitorial staff, everybody else who worked in the hospital was also exposed and people were getting sick. Anyone with a human body was vulnerable to this. And so uh, our patient volume was high and our staffing, uh, which was already tight, was now uh, even tighter. It was a stressful time, to say the least, And it was a very busy time, uh, which is an understatement. I worked many, many shifts at several hospitals. And when I came home uh, at the end of my shifts, I would have a makeshift sanitation station in our garage before I entered the house. And I, like many of my colleagues, remember uh, changing in that you know, designated area in our home, wiping ourselves down, washing our hands, and sometimes even taking a shower before we entered the house or exposed ourselves to our family members. I am pretty certain that I contracted COVID-19 through patient care because my children were quarantined at home and were not going to school. My husband was working from home And I was the only one interacting with anyone outside. I, you know, quarantined myself in the house. I did not hug my children for several months. I was afraid that to bring anything bad to them. At the time, I, like I'm sure many of my colleagues in healthcare, thought a lot more about our patients and our families than we did about our own personal safety. Personal protective equipment was in short supply. And in those very early days, uh, were actually under lock and key. 
I think that part of the reason was to mitigate a sense of panic. Uh, Things like N95 masks and uh, respirators and devices like um, PAPRs were seen as symbols of disaster when really they should have just been seen as tools that responsible people were using. But that's my little soapbox. I wasn't privy to the decisions um, for supply. But we knew that supplies were short. We didn't have enough N95s. We were storing them in different ways and learning from one another at uh, different institutions. Um, first, we stored them in plastic bags, and then we stored them in paper bags and reused N95s as often as we could without uh, a clear way to know how, if they were still working. I took a lot, care of a lot of patients with COVID, and um, it's not surprising that I fell ill. In 2020, uh, in the late spring, I fell ill with uh, a respiratory infection. I have was really healthy beforehand and just have a history of um, allergies. I live in an agricultural town. There's lots of stuff in the air all the time, and the rate of allergies here is pretty high. So every allergy office is always busy. I had a albuterol inhaler that I would use one to three times a year when the allergens were really high and I got a little chest tightness. But other than that, I was really healthy and fit. It was surprising to me then that I suddenly had a drastic worsening in my respiratory symptoms. In early 2020, COVID-19 testing was very limited, very short supply, and was restricted to patients who had been admitted with devastating respiratory illness. I did not fall into that category, and so when I had my respiratory illness, I did not have a COVID-19 test available to me. What I knew was that I had had some sort of respiratory infection, and I was not recovering. The first symptom I noticed Um, after the initial illness was a loss of my voice or what's called dysphonia. I did not have a hoarse voice. I did not have a um, raspy voice. I had a weak voice. This was not like uh, something that happens after you go to a concert or you're yelling. It took all of my abdominal muscles to work to push voice, push sound out of my vocal cords. It was very difficult to vocalize, and I was getting exhausted just from that effort. 
Initially, I chalked it up to wearing N95s, but then I quickly realized everyone around me was wearing N95s during the day and nobody else was experiencing this. My uh, respiratory, like lower respiratory symptoms kept getting worse when I expected them to get better. So whereas I had used an albuterol inhaler a couple times a year in the past, I was suddenly short of breath uh, perpetually and using inhalers throughout the day. I got worried enough about it to see my doctor and the doctor that I was most established with was my allergy doctor. I had a primary care doctor but only saw her uh, on my yearly visits because I was healthy. As the saying goes, and I'm probably going to botch it, uh, a hammer sees a nail. And my allergy doctor was hyper-focused on this, these symptoms as being uh, caused by allergies. And so I kept being treated for allergies using antihistamines and trialing multiple inhalers. But as things deteriorated, as my health deteriorated, by the end of 2020, I was having noticeable difficulty walking short distances and uh, turned to my doctor and said, there's something more is going on here, and this treatment is not adequate. I started steroids, and uh, that helped for a short while. I didn't know what was going on, but at this point, I was pretty sure that this was not just allergies. Uh, I am in my mid-40s. I have had allergies my whole life. Uh, I grew up in this area, and for me to suddenly have debilitating asthma caused by allergies did not make a whole lot of sense. My fatigue was insidious at first, and because it was so busy around me, it was easy to pull focus from what the signals my body was sending me. Initially, I found myself getting a little winded walking um, into the hospital. Then I found myself taking the elevator to go up one flight of stairs, whereas in the past it was really easy for me to run up several flights of stairs before deciding to take an elevator. Then I had difficulty pushing a patient in a gurney and was asking for assistance with that. Ultimately, I had a very scary episode that proved to me I needed to take this seriously and get more help. I finished a shift in March of 2021 at the trauma hospital, and it was sunset time, so it's beautiful. 
I walk out of the main doors of the hospital and take off my N95. I feel a beautiful breeze on my face that's quite uh, comforting after being um, in a busy hospital masked all day. And my car was in the parking lot a few hundred yards away. I walked slowly as I had been the past month, but this was exceptionally difficult. It was taking a lot of physical effort for me to walk, and I was talking myself up, giving myself a pep talk to motivate motivate myself to keep going. Even though my car was only a few hundred yards away, I didn't make it that day. I collapsed in front of the hospital on a little patch of grass between the hospital driveway and the start of the parking lot. I rested against a tree and looked around hoping to find someone with a wheelchair who might be able to help me get the rest of the way. My arms and legs could work. I knew that, but I did not have the fuel to move them. I was just on fumes. And, well, I think I had been running on fumes, and now even the fumes were gone. And my body uh, sent an alarm and said, you can't do this anymore. I was able to get home with help that day and I stopped working. I remember calling the head of the anesthesia department to inform him that I couldn't continue and that I needed some time off. And it was a very humbling experience. Um, I'll say it was embarrassing for me to admit that uh, I couldn't work anymore. I even second-guessed myself as I was lying in bed. Maybe I just needed to be stronger and maybe I just needed to be tougher I was scared about losing control and I was blaming myself for these symptoms. I was afraid of being weak. And I think partly because of that, I pushed myself really far before I recognized just how ill I was. I'm sure many of you have done the same. When you are, have a go get em attitude and you take pride in your work, you do everything you can to keep working. So when we fast forward and I hear this argument that this is, this disease is, uh, in our heads or caused by laziness or a somatization of some uh, emotional response, 
it's clearly untrue. I work really hard. I have often put work above my health, but not anymore. By the middle of 2021, I had been home trying to recover for a couple of months, but my symptoms persisted and worsened. It was the first time I was able to really take inventory of my symptoms and to listen to all of the signals my body had been sending me. Patients with long COVID, as I said, present with myriad combination of symptoms. My symptoms were primarily debilitating fatigue and post-exertional malaise, pre-syncope, which means I felt like passing out more than once, orthostatic intolerance, which means I had difficulty maintaining my blood pressure when I changed positions. I still had perpetual shortness of breath and dysphonia, which made it very difficult to communicate and speak. I also had pretty worrisome cognitive impairment, which is often called brain fog, but I think that's a that's not a strong enough term. I had word finding difficulties that I never experienced. I would start a sentence or a thought and in at the halfway point of the sentence I would stop talking and my eyes would drift off. It made me think of a little child holding a balloon and then releasing the grasp and losing the balloon up into the sky. I couldn't remember what I had been talking about only a few moments earlier. I had sensory sensitivity so it was difficult to hear sounds. It was difficult for me to be around other people because of this. And most tragically, it was difficult for me to be around my own children. I had horrific headaches. And I also had tinnitus, which was ringing in the ears. I didn't know what was going on. At my worst, I spent my days in bed in a dark room alone. My saddest memory is hearing the laughter of my children outside my door, and I knew I couldn't interact with them. Initially, I had difficulty walking up a flight of stairs in the hospital. Now that I was at home, I had difficulty walking up the stairs in my own home, then difficulty walking to the front door, and during the worst of it, I had difficulty walking from my bed unassisted to the bathroom. It was a miserable period of my life, and for any of you listening 
who experienced that or maybe experiencing it today, I send you a lot of love and compassion. It is a lonely place and it is not your fault. (sighs) It's really hard. The person who shed light on my symptoms and gave me the word long haul COVID-19 was not a medical professional. I had seen my primary care doctor and although she was very engaged and believed me, could not figure out what was going on. Long haul COVID-19 was presented to me or introduced to me by another patient with no medical background. I feel so grateful that I was connected to her through a mutual friend. We talked over the phone and over Zoom. She had been uh, admitted to the hospital with COVID-19 symptoms, and since her discharge had suffered many of the same symptoms that I was experiencing. She shared her story with me, and it was a light bulb moment It was a moment of validation, and it was a moment of empowerment. At that time, medicine had failed me. In many ways, it continues to fail me. Medicine is the system that I've dedicated my life to. And here I was, being saved in many ways by someone outside of medicine someone who had been ignored by traditional medicine. I was introduced to the long COVID community that was expanding online, a group of heroic individuals who, in spite of their new physical limitations, were sharing their experiences and demanding answers. The fact that This new friend uh, gave me uh, the word long COVID, opened up many more avenues of treatment for me. I was able to take these words and this information to my primary care doctor who partnered with me in researching and started the process of referring me to physicians who might be able to help. It has been a very long and tedious process to get to seek answers, uh, treatments, and uh, methods to support my recovery. It's also been very, very disappointing that there is not a clear, validated treatment or treatment strategy to cure this disease. I've learned so much about medicine from patients with long COVID and ME-CFS. I have learned so much about medicine by being a patient. I look forward to sharing some of these insights. And as my recovery continues, I hope to see or help make some needed improvements in the culture of medicine, and the practice of medicine so that those of us who are suffering with 
poorly understood disease complexes are believed, supported, treated, and cured. Today, I am much improved from my worst. I spend most of my day out of bed, but I certainly do have periods where I spend my day supine. I can engage with my family. My cognitive skills have improved tremendously. My voice is still not 100%, but it's enough to record a podcast. And my fatigue is still a, a problem, but is not as severe as it was in the past. There are periods of times where I do have severe fatigue um, more often than I'd like, and uh, it still limits what I can do with my time. But I am better than I was, and that's a big win. Receiving treatment has been a significant challenge. And I and my husband have done a lot of heavy lifting for a disease that is as debilitating as this one. You would think there would be clear treatment options and treatment strategies, and yet there are not. This is a tragedy. This is an injustice because we're in a situation where the patients who are struggling are, have to be their own doctors in many ways. Our treatments are trial and error, and that is a very inefficient way to cure a disease. It's a very inefficient way to accomplish any goal. Until medical science catches up, we're in this position. In the next episode, I will talk to you about my approach to my medical care when it clicked for me that nobody was going to save me and that I had to navigate the medical system to get care, get effective care. It was an intuitive uh, approach for me, but I can clarify it now, and it is absolutely based in my expertise as a physician taking care of critically ill and patients with complicated disease processes. Uh, And it has been uh, really helpful to be a coach and to learn how to set goals and reframe them and evaluate, make decisions based on uh, my needs and values. It's also been really helpful in retrospect to have as much experience as a patient advocate, um, as I have, because I've had to lean into that too. This process has been really eye-opening for me as a physician as well, and maybe not in the next episode, but certainly in future episodes, I'm going to talk about the significant limitations 
and biases inherent in our medical system. I know other people have talked about these things. I might not be the first podcast you've listened to on long COVID, but I'll give you my two cents and maybe that uh, will bring a new perspective to you or cement what you have already believed. If you're here at the end, thank you for listening to this episode. It is not uh, easy for me to share personal information, but I've been inspired by all of you who have stood up and shared yours. So until the next episode, I hope you're doing well at this moment and I will talk to you again soon. Please reach out to me. My Twitter or X handle is Dr. Underscore Zest. That's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore Z-E-E-S like Sam, T like Tommy. And my email address is longcovidmd at gmail.com. Please email me, give me feedback, send me ideas uh, of what you want me to talk about. Any questions, I'm happy to answer them if I can. Uh, and Or just introduce yourself. Let me know who you are and what your experience with long COVID has been as a patient, as a physician or healthcare worker, or as a patient carer or a patient advocate. I want to hear it all. Thank you again. I'm wishing you lots of energy today. I'm wishing you a lot of, sending you a lot of compassion today too. So until next time, goodbye. This has been the Long COVID MD Podcast with your host, Dr. Zeist Cotton.